last week, Marsh and I went with some friends to go uh, watch the Thunder play San Antonio. And it was a great game on Thursday night. Uh, it was a close game, as many of you know, and we came down to it, but we won in the end. And that was so much fun. And then, of course, you got to be there, and Kevin Durant scored his 25 points to keep his streak growing and now is tied with uh, Michael Jordan. It was just a fun night to be there and cheer. When you go to be with the Thunder, it's just different. I mean, I love watching on TV. I love watching the basketball games. But, you know, when you're there in person, I mean, there's just an intensity. It's just different. I came away from that night. My ears were ringing. It had been so loud. And, and when you get there and you all are cheering you know, for your team to win, it's kind of like you've gathered with 18,000 of your closest friends. There's a sense of community. We're all cheering for the same thing. We want our team to win. I did that on Thursday night, but, but on Tuesday night, I went to a, a, another dinner, a different kind of gathering of people. It was the Dialogue Institute. And it's an, an organization that really works on creating dialogue, discussion about different faiths, trying to help us have greater understanding, trying to help us come to appreciate and respect one another. And so as a gathering, a very diverse group of people who all came together, a large gathering, and it was an awards banquet. It was honoring people in the community who had lived in such a way that we have a better community by reaching out and blessing life. Kevin Durant was one of the honorees that night, but so were other people. And, and it was fascinating as we sat there and these people received their awards. Every one of them stood up and said, you know, I, I want to thank my wife or my husband my family. I want to thank my friends. I want to thank you. And I thought, tonight is a special night for them because we're all there. There was a sense of community. People to celebrate and say, well done. Thank you for what you did to bless life. If none of us had gone, it would have been a very different feeling. It's because we all decided to come together as a community to celebrate a value of respect and understanding and diversity that it made it special when someone was recognized. Having had both of those events, it was in such stark contrast to the books that I've been reading, A Long Walk Home, A Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu's book, Made for Goodness. Because in the book, they're talking about the South African government years ago when they had apartheid a system by which they were trying to control all the people of South Africa. And they had a fascinating thing that they called the ban. It could be implemented by the minister of justice without any cause or explanation. The minister of justice could decide anybody could be placed under the ban for however long he wanted because he decided so. And Nelson Mandela was placed under the ban three different times for multiple years each time. And what the ban was, it said, you cannot ever be with people with more than one person at a time. You can be free. You may go about your life, but you can't be more with more than one person at a time. That was what you were banned from doing. Well, if you're under the ban, what it means is, yes, you're free, but you can't go to worship. There's more than one person at a time gathered here. It meant you certainly couldn't go to a political gathering, which was the purpose. 
But it also meant you couldn't go to your child's birthday party. You couldn't go to Sunday afternoon dinner with your family. You couldn't go anywhere where there'd be more than one person. And Mandela said, you know, it's almost kind of like this psychological claustrophobia that, that suddenly was happening to you. You weren't behind bars, but it was like living in prison. He said, you're always having to watch and think because if you violated the ban, you would be sent to prison. And so wherever you went, only one at a time. And he said, I got to tell you, you don't think about it, but it does something to your soul when you can't ever share with a community. And that's because you and I are made for community, for goodness. I want to continue on the sermon series, Made for Goodness. And we've been looking really at the creation story, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, kind of as the foundation. We've been remembering each week how God said, let us make man in our image. And so he made them, male and female, he made them. And he looked at his creation and called it very good. Well, if you move on into Genesis 2, you have a second creation story. And it kind of helps unfold theologically a little more about the creation story. And in the second creation story, what we're told is how God scooped up the dust and blew breath, ruach, into the being, God's spirit, and called it Adam. And then God created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals on the land. And after God had created all that, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. And so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and then took a rib and created Eve. So man would not be alone. Scholars say what's going on here is that we're trying to be told theologically, how are you and I created? In the image of God. And God is the God of creation who created us all to have communion with us, to have fellowship with us, to have community with us. I love the Anglican church that says the purpose of life is to know God and enjoy Him. God created us to be known by God, to know God, to know one another. It is not good that we should be alone. We were created in such a way there's a need for community. And that might be in good times when you're getting an award. It might be in hard times when you're burying somebody you love. In our scripture lesson, we're reading about Jesus moving to the cross. We're getting ever closer now. Next week is Palm Sunday and then on to Easter. But on this night of the Last Supper, it says Jesus' soul is troubled. He is deeply troubled. Why? He knows he's about to be betrayed. He's about to suffer and die. We don't know exactly what was going on in Jesus' mind. How much did he know exactly? Scholars love to debate that. But what we do know, he sensed the end was coming soon. He knew he was about to be betrayed. And so when he was struggling in that moment, coming to the end, knowing such a hard moment, what did he want? He wanted his community, his family of faith, his 12 disciples to be with him. He said, let's go to the garden. We'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I want you to watch and pray. 
And then he took with him Peter, James, John. They went a little further. And he says to them, My soul is so troubled. Whatever you do, just stay here with me and watch. Jesus needed others to be around him in a difficult moment. I believe we are made in such a way we all need community. It's what makes the good times meaningful. It's what makes the hard times bearable. We need to be able to be community. And because you and I are made in the image of God, not only do we need community, we have the power to help create community. And when you create community, it's going to make you feel good because it's going to resonate with your soul because it's who you are, made for goodness. Let's think about that this morning. Three things I want us to think about. One, if you're going to have community, then it takes sacrifice. To have community, to have a family of faith, it takes sacrifice. It was Jesus who was about to give up his very life. He was about to sacrifice for that family, those 12 disciples. And it's that sacrifice that drew us all together as a family of faith, the church. If you're going to have family, if you're going to be a part of a family of faith or community, somebody has to give up sometimes the way they want things to go. Do you always get your way? Do you always demand it's going to be my way, exactly like I think it and want it? That doesn't build up community. Are you willing to give up things that are meaningful to you or that you enjoy to bless life? To sacrifice. I don't know if any of you saw the show that was on TV recently. I just happened to catch it one night. And it was about Prince Harry and the South Pole. It was really a fascinating show. It was all about a group of organizers who came together and they wanted to highlight wounded veterans. People coming home from Iraq or Afghanistan who had been wounded. And they wanted to lift up a group called Walking with, um, Walking with the Wounded. Trying to point out veterans and all that they've given. And now they're coming home. Will we be there to support them, help them, get them a job? Walking with the Wounded. And so what the organizers did was they got four veterans who had been wounded from, uh, uh, from Canada, from England, and from the United States. And then each of them had a team leader, like Harry, and they were going to have a race across 200 miles of Antarctica to the South Pole. And it's going to say, which team can get there first? And we're all going to race and maybe this will create interest and drama. 200 miles, probably two weeks of traveling across this barren, barren landscape where temperatures could be minus 33 degrees. That's cold. Really cold. And so you see them, they start off, and man, now these people, you got to understand, these wounded veterans, one was an amputee, another's a double amputee, another one is blind. I mean, you're looking at these struggles they have, and they're out there charging across the tundra of Antarctica. And as they're trying to push so hard, what starts to happen is people start falling ill to the cold and to altitude and... And suddenly there's all kinds of medical emergencies. Enough that the organizer of the race calls everybody together. And after five days, he calls all the participants and says, the race is over. From here on out, 
we go together. We're going to slow down and we all go together. Our goal is to get 12 wounded soldiers to the South Pole. Well, not everybody was happy about that. Those who were strong, those who were pushing on, they had a competitive spirit. I came here to win. We were here to race. And Prince Harry spoke up to the group and said, if you're not happy about this, then you need to swallow your tongue. I guess that's how they say it in England. We would say, you need to bite your tongue. He said, you need to swallow your tongue. This is for the good of all. And people thought about it, and they all decided, you're right. We will sacrifice what we had hoped, our desires. We will sacrifice now for each other. And so they continued to go on. Another nine days moving on. And finally, after 14 days, 200 miles, seven major medical emergencies, all 12 soldiers arrived at the South Pole. And to see them all come around at the same moment, to be touching the South Pole and hugging each other. The race is over. From here on out, we do it together. No one was left behind, and everybody made it. It was amazing. But that's life. When you and I stop thinking just about self and getting ahead or me, and what is it going to mean to sacrifice for one another? It's amazing how we all can make it. We don't get left behind. Great things can happen. When was the last time you sacrificed for somebody in your family? When you can remember giving up trying to get your way, forcing it to be done like you want it to be done. When was the last time you were willing to forego something you wanted in order to help someone else? In order to have community, there has to be sacrifice. But secondly, in order to have community, there has to be forgiveness. Jesus asked those that he loved the most to come with him so he wouldn't be alone. But when the soldiers came, they all ran away. They all deserted him. And in the end, they started to deny him. Even Peter, who said, I promise you, I'll never deny you, three times that night. They all denied him. They all ran away. They all failed. But the whole message of the crucifixion, the message of the resurrection, is about forgiveness. It's supposed to be a message that says, even when you quit on God, God didn't quit on you. No matter how you have failed, God loves you and wants you to be back in community. That's why there is community. If there had been no forgiveness for the disciples, there would have been no community. But because they felt forgiven, they could also accept the sacrifice that had been made for them and they came together as a family of faith. Forgiveness. You know, I, I got me to thinking about my son Paul. Paul is now 31 years old, and as you know, he's in his fourth year of his surgical residency at Scott and White down in Temple, Texas. But I got to thinking back when he was in like second grade. The thing Paul wanted most in life was a bicycle. He really wanted a bike. 
We had moved out to a neighborhood that was really neat. Uh, everybody lived on one and a half to three acres of land, some rolling hills, kind of a quiet little neighborhood. Perfect place for a kid to go play and ride a bike. And that's what Paul wanted more than anything. He wanted a bike. Well, I got to tell you, things were tight as a family. We'd started a new church. Uh, we weren't making a whole lot of money, but we knew the bike he wanted, and so we decided to sacrifice. We saved. We made sure that Christmas he got the bike he was asking for, and he loved it. I mean, every afternoon he got home from school, and he was out. He was riding that bike. I mean, he would ride until it was dark, and he did that for about a week. And one night he had ridden so late, and he came riding up, and it was already time for dinner, and he just dropped the bike right there in the driveway, and he ran in for dinner and off to bed. And I usually leave for work pretty early in the morning. I leave in the dark. I got up the next morning. I got in the car to head off to work, and I put that thing in reverse, and I hear, <clears throat> I got out of the car and looked, and I just run over that new bike. This bike that we had saved and sacrificed for, it was ruined. There would be no repairing this bike. It was ruined. I was furious. How irresponsible. We talked about these kinds of things. How could he do this kind? I mean, it's now ruined. It was so early in the morning. He was still in bed, getting ready would not to get to go to school. I had to get to work. I said, Marsha, I'll deal with it when I get home tonight. I got to think about this. So I went on to work. Man, all day long had come up in my mind, that bike is toast. It is done. I had a long day. I had a dinner meeting. It wasn't until late that evening that I was finally getting home. It was already bedtime for the kids. Marsha had taken them upstairs and was starting to put them to bed when I finally got home. And I knew it was really late, but I knew I needed to deal with it tonight. I'd been thinking all day long, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? I came in and I sat down and Marsha sent Paul down. And he came downstairs and he came over to where I was sitting and he said, Dad, I know you didn't mean to run over my bike. So I forgive you. I love you very much, Dad. He hugged my neck and kissed me and ran off up the stairs. I was in such shock, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> it's not often that I'm sitting there looking for words, trying to think, well, well, thank you. <laughs> in a little bit, Marcia came back down and she said, well, how did it go? <laughs> he forgave me. <laughs> I, I, I really struggled with that and going, man, you could tell this was heartfelt this little boy had dug deep. This was something important to him, and he was willing to forgive me. And I thought, you know, how I handle this is going to affect our relationship forever. And so I decided I would accept the forgiveness, and in my own heart, I would forgive him. That's how we brought healing in the family. Isn't it amazing how two people can seem the same thing Exactly different. You can see the same thing in two total different ways. If there never is forgiveness, then you can't ever have family. Are you just holding on to grudges? Never giving them up? It's because you and I have been forgiven that we are called to forgive 
And when you forgive, it feels good because that's how you're created. You're made for goodness. And when you forgive, you help to create community. And so third, if you're going to have community, you have to be present. You have to be present. Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him. They came to the garden. He said, whatever you do, just stay here with me and watch. Pray. And then he went a little further. And we know what the disciples did. We didn't read it this morning, but we know the end of the story. We know what they did. They went to sleep. And so Jesus comes back and he says, come on, guys, I need your help here. Watch and pray with me. And he goes away and it says they went to sleep again. Now, I know that Matthew is telling us probably what happened literally. But I think he tells it in such a way that he's trying to make another theological point. I think the point he's trying to make is quite often we go to sleep on each other's relationships. It's easy to take each other for granted, to forget what matters, to no longer listen to another person's soul. Jesus was pouring out his need. I need you to watch and to pray. They went to sleep. We need each other. Sometimes to sacrifice for each other. Sometimes to forgive each other. And it sure is easy to go to sleep on each other. To miss those things that really do matter. And so the only way you get relationships is if you're present. Not just physically, but mentally, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Are you present? You know, you and I live in a wonderful time. I love that I'm getting to live in this period in history. I love the technology that's being created. But I've got to say, we're living in a time when something is happening that, that is different than what's happening 10 years ago or 15 years ago that we as a culture have got to learn to deal with. And, and that's this wonderful thing called the mobile device. You know, I used to call it a mobile phone, but it's this mobile device that can do so many things. It's really having an effect on us being present with each other. Now, I was over in Chapel Hill, North Carolina last fall for a meeting with the General Board of Pensions. And we got through on a Friday and I had about two and a half hours before I had to go to the airport. I'd never been to the University of North Carolina, never been to Chapel Hill. And I thought, I want to go out and go see this place. It was the fall, the leaves were turning. It was beautiful. And so I just had to go walk on around campus. And as I started to go into campus, I looked over and there was a bus stop. And I looked at it, and it was so pretty. But what caught my attention was I, I started counting. There were 18 people there, and every single one was looking at their mobile device. <laughs> not a soul was talking to each other. Not a soul was looking around to appreciate this incredible beauty. Every single person had their head and their mobile device. Now, I've started watching it, and, and haven't you ever noticed you go out to dinner... And you can tell, here's a couple out on a date, and they're both just texting away, you know. I'm thinking, wow, that looks very special, doesn't it, how they're talking tonight? You can see a family. The whole family will be sitting out somewhere, and everybody is working on their mobile device. Not long ago, just a week or so ago, our people went off on mission trips. You heard about our adults going to Honduras. Our senior high went to Denver. Our junior high went down to Dallas. Jonathan Garrett, our youth minister there, was talking about taking the kids. He led that trip down to Dallas. 
And he said they had a wonderful time, great group of kids. They went down and they worked at a church one day helping to fix things up. Another day they went to the, uh, the Trinity River Mission. It used to be a United Methodist Church. Now it's a United Methodist Mission. They have an after-school program with 150 kids who come every afternoon. They are all on free lunch program. They're first through fifth grade. And they can come and there they get tutoring. And when they're through tutoring, they can play and hang out safe and supervised. And they all get dinner. So they're going to get those two meals a day. It's an incredible mission. Our kids were there to help tutor, to play, serve dinner, all that kind of good stuff. And then another day they went to the regional food bank there in, in North Dallas and a major hub and they helped with the distribution of food. But then the next morning we said, you know, hey, it is your spring break. Why don't you go to the zoo and have a little fun? And then tonight we're going back to Trinity River Mission again to work there. And when they got through with being at the zoo and playing that day, one of the girls said to a counselor, you know, I really didn't get as close to all of my friends today as I'd hoped to because we were all on our phones. And the counselors got together and talked real quick and thought about it and they came back and said, we got an idea. It's a suggestion. You do not have to do it. But what it would be like if tonight we all put our phones in a bag and then we just left them there and we got them back tonight after we go serve and eat dinner and go out and play. We'll get them back before we go to bed tonight. What do you think? Now, I can tell just by looking at some of you, you're out there and your heart's pounding. And you're thinking, <laughs> eight, eight hours, I'm going to be out of touch? I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's what's going to happen. The kids were thrilled. They did it. Gladly, willingly. They all piled their phones into a bag. And Jonathan said it was fascinating. You know, we told the kids when you're doing the mission, you, you shouldn't be on your phone and texting and Instagramming and all this kind of good stuff. Try to be present. But he said when we were in the van driving to the mission, every day it was silent because everybody was on their mobile device. But he said this day as we drove back, suddenly there was talking and laughing and teasing and playing. They were present with one another. And he said we served and went to dinner and went out and had fun. And he said that night we were community. We had such a good time with each other. Because we were present. That's not just because of mobile devices we may not be present. Sometimes we go to sleep on each other just because we're busy. Or we take each other for granted. Or sometimes we just get selfish. But if you're not careful, we go to sleep on our relationships. We are not present. And you've got to be present to sense somebody's needs so you know whether you need to sacrifice or not or you need to forgive or not. So you're there. That's what it takes to have community. I've had fun talking all about space. And you know how much I love space and our space program. And I was telling you all about Chris Hadfield, which made me think all about our Apollo program where John Kennedy, we talked to you about last week in 1962, said let's put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And Sure enough, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin climbed down and walked on the moon. We did it. We actually did it the summer of 1969. But sometimes we forget, before the year was out, we went back again. We put two more men on the moon before the end of the decade. Al Bean, Pete Conrad. 
Dick Gordon was the one who was out there orbiting while the other two went down and landed on the moon. Very successful program. They landed in what's known as the Ocean of Storms. Close enough to a satellite we'd shot to the moon a few years earlier, they could go retrieve part of the satellite and bring it back to Earth. It was a very successful mission. These three astronauts had trained for several years to be ready for this program. And you know, they weren't just working together, they were great friends. They really had learned to have fun with each other. These three astronauts clicked as they became the team for Apollo 12. When they came back to Earth, of course, you go into quarantine for a number of days to make sure you didn't bring back an outer space bug. And we didn't know in those days. And then finally, after quarantine, you're set free. When these, two, these three men came out, again, from having been to the moon, boy, there was so much hoopla and interviews. And Al Bean gave a fascinating interview. I want to read you what he had to say. In the end, what I had left from my walk in the ocean of storms are memories. Like it was a trip to the seashore or a drive in the country. They're all mixed together in a constant stream of thoughts and images that come and go like all memories do. But the most precious things I brought back with me are the same things I left with, my two best friends. I realized you can go through any endeavor or on any journey, whether across town or to the moon and back. And all that really matters is that you share the experience with the people you love. That's what makes life special. Whether you're traveling to the other side of town and back or to the moon and back, all that really matters is that you travel with the people you love. That's what makes life special. Because you were created in the image of God. You were created with this innate need for community. And when you help to create community... It feels good. It resonates with your soul because you were made for goodness. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.